Well, good morning from the mountaintop, where it is well below freezing. <laughs> Those of you not aware, uh, my name is Robert. I am one of the new executive directors up at Camp Mitchell. Thank you enough for having me. Um, blessing to be here. Just to give you a little bit of a warning, this is my third cup of coffee version of this sermon. <laughs> Tell you where it's going to wind up, but we got to start somewhere. A couple years ago, I was fortunate enough to be invited by the Dyson office in Dyson, Mississippi, to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land. A fantastic trip. If you have ever been, you'll know how transformational the experience um, can be to go and do that. If you haven't been, I advise doing so, but ask friends um, because it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, educational and faithful experience. And it really changed the way I engage Scripture, the way I engage and understand this narrative of God's love and faithfulness because that lens of of geography has really allowed for a deeper understanding of some of the nuanced meanings that are included in our holy stories. In fact, part of it is, is that the geography is much smaller than we're accustomed to here in the United States. We think of things in large scales. It's very small. Um, and so what happens is, is these narratives that seem to be these sort of mystical, far and distant places, sort of our, our holy version of Middle Earth. You know, it's hard to sort of wrap our mind around this different entity, this different place. Uh, and what happens is that the stories that we tell, that we hear that take place over, you know, 3,000 years or so, wind up being layered on top of each other by geography. Many things happen in the same places. And God knows this, and the people who are writing down these narratives know this too. And what we find is that from generation to generation, from tier to tier, from layer to layer, the meanings begin to enhance one another. That the, the, the narrative piece that's built upon the same space as the previous one begins to transfer some of its meaning. And so we wind up with these very rich pieces of information that if we're not paying attention, we can completely miss. One example of that is if you're driving along you know, the Jordan side of the Jordan River, you know, like you do, driving along in a van, and you get off, and you step off into what looks like a barren desert landscape. There's like maybe one shrub off to the left when you get off the van. And you're looking out, and it doesn't seem to be going much of anywhere, but really about 50 to 100 yards beyond is this really muddy ditch um, that is the Jordan River. It's not pristine, shiny, and clean like we like to think it is. It really is like an irrigation ditch by the time you get down there. And, and what you know is getting off the bus, this stop is where you go to the place tradition tells us Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And so, you know, excited about that. You step off the bus and there's this pile of stones, a little bronze plaque that says, by the way, Elijah ascended from here. It means something that in this place, the greatest prophet ascended. The inheritor of his message, of his prophetic voice, takes up his mantle, his palace, his prayer shawl, and he goes to that muddy ditch, and he casts it into the water to see if the power of God has been given to him to be able to prophesy this this large narrative that is the voice of God and the waters part and he crosses from the wilderness that is the east side of the Jordan over into the promised land that is the west side of the Jordan just like 
the Israelites did so many years ago. And just like Jesus will do several years later. Same place. Crossing the same boundary from out there to here amongst us. That's not what the sermon's about, but I thought you might get it. Um, but what I am saying is that the gospel writer of Matthew knows this. He gets the layers of this. Every word of the gospel of Matthew is perfectly crafted to build on the narratives that have preceded There are no accidental words. There's really no turns of phrases. Uh, Matthew's a pretty terrible writer as far as crafting a beautiful narrative, but he's perfect in making each word ground into the holy narrative of God's faithfulness and love that has been inherited unto Jesus, the presence of God in our midst, and unto the community that will be transformed by His presence and catapulted into the future beyond them. Matthew is full of this richness. And if we're not paying attention, just like in all other readings of Scripture, we can miss so much of what is being brought to us through this word crafting that happens. In this particular passage, the word Genesis or Geneo is found twice, which is pretty high density for one Greek word that is in the Greek, not in uh, our English translation. Um, but that word, that one word, is clearly drawing from the same word that is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the Hebrew Scriptures, translated in Greek for a Greek-speaking world. That geneo, or Genesis, was used to title the very beginning narrative of creation. Matthew knows this. He knows that he's talking about a beginning but we sort of closed it in in translation. If you're not aware of this, when you translate from one language to the next, you lose some of the nuance of meaning. And when it's translated to the Greek from Hebrew, you lose some of the meaning. And the way the, the Old Testament text, where the Hebrew text are titled, is the first word of the narrative, is the, is the title of the book. Which is the Hebrew word that's translated to Genesis, or beginning, or more importantly, birth. And that's where we get off track. You hanging on with me? Because the word... Who can tell me what the first words of the Bible are? Anybody got it? First words. In the beginning, God created. Right? Wrong. You've been under the false assumption all these years. Because actually, in the original text... There's not a definite article, there's an indefinite article. For all you English people out there, you're welcome. It's not in the beginning God created. It's in a beginning God began to create. That Hebrew understanding that at the very beginning of all of this narrative, of all things they understand to be, is part of the ongoing, expansive, eternal, creative narrative of God being. That God is, in and of God's own eternal self, creative. And it is that reality that is projected onto this passage that foretells yet another beginning. The beginning of the narrative of Jesus Christ. Next. 